Welcome to the Detox Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gwena, certified holistic health coach and detox enthusiast, and I'm here to talk all things detox. Toxins exist in our lives in many forms, from the foods we eat, products we use, people we spend time with, and even the thoughts in our heads. Here we discuss how various toxins may be sapping our energy and vitality, and how we can detox to create a life we love. Each week, we'll discuss everything from nutrition, clean beauty, body image, stress management techniques, career and business, relationships, you name it. Whether it's with a guest or just yours truly, we'll get real, raw, and honest and provide tangible tips to detox all areas of our lives. If you're ready to step into the most vibrant version of you, let's get started. My simple explanation of emotional intelligence is that It's a framework to use your emotions more intelligently. And, uh, you know, so the the formal definition, if you will, is, you know, it's a a way of understanding how you think, act, and respond, and how your actions impact others. Welcome back to another episode of the Detox Diaries podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Carolyn Offer-Moselle. She is a leadership and development coach and consultant who helps her clients to develop emotional intelligence skills and become a leader that people want to follow. This conversation is so great. She shares tons of tips for just that, basically how to become a leader that people want to follow and how to work on your emotional intelligence skills, what it really is, and we go into a lot of different workplace scenarios and how best to handle them. And honestly, what we're talking about obviously applies to workplace situations, but really just to conversations and communication in general. We also chat about what emotional intelligence is and the place that it plays in the workplace, self-awareness as a foundational pillar of emotional intelligence, the impact of mindfulness on workplace dynamics, how to communicate effectively as a leader and an employee, and no being a complete sentence. So I know you're gonna get so much out of this conversation. Again, whether you work in a corporate environment or you're just trying to improve your communication skills overall, even when it comes to family relationships, friendships, whatever it may be, there's definitely so much to be gleaned from this conversation and I'm so excited to get into it. Hi, Carolyn, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here and to chat with you about this topic. So I would love to just kick it off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to doing what you do now. Yes. So I am a um, leadership development coach and consultant, and I work with mid and senior level business professionals to develop their communication and emotional intelligence skills so that they feel better equipped to communicate, interact, and collaborate more successfully. And so I've been doing that all along actually throughout my career, but never really put a name to it. And it always amazes me because emotional intelligence has been around since like the nineties, but um, I just never put a name to what I was doing. And now that I've um, you know become cert- a certified practitioner, um, I am able to just kind of put a little bit more structure around um, using those skills and have a framework around it. So I am now that's what I do. I worked in city government um, for over 25 years, serving in some of the highest levels of local government leadership. And throughout that time, I've had to um, manage, um, coach, um, guide, 
um, have some therapy <laughs> with um, leaders of all levels from like frontline leaders to like elected leaders, because I was always an advisor to leadership in that capacity. And um, so my, my, my job was to make sure that everything flowed and um, um, we were able to um, provide excellent um, constituent and customer service to the residents of Baltimore City. So I've spent my whole adult life doing that. And um, now I'm just so excited that I'm able to put a name to what I had been doing. And I got really excited about that. And now I wanna share it with um, leaders who um, have to, you know, um, um, who, who want to become a leader, people want to follow, not have to follow, but want to follow. Yes. Well, that's an amazing skill set because I'm <laughs> sure we all have experience, obviously, with leaders who we have to follow and don't necessarily want to. And we can definitely dive more into that in a little bit. But I would love for you to just, for people who don't know what emotional intelligence is, if you could kind of explain that a little bit further. So, uh, you know, I, I, my simple explanation of emotional intelligence is that it's a framework to use your emotions more intelligently. And, uh, you know, because, so the, the formal definition, if you will, is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, um, a way of understanding how you think, act, and respond, and how your actions impact others. And it gives you a framework to um, build those skills so that you are you know how to um, better prepare yourself, self, and position yourself for success. And in doing so, you are able to motivate and inspire others who, ever, you know, whether you are a business owner or you are um, a leader in an organization, a community leader, you know, you are able to inspire others to, um, to be motivated to do the best work that they can do. And I love, what, what, I, what I love about emotional intelligence, if you do it right, <clears throat> you're, you're able to, what I call, get discretionary effort from people. And the discretionary effort is, you know, that that those things that people will do for you um, without you really even asking them. It's just that they are motivated and inspired by your leadership, that they're willing to go the extra mile, think, you know, differently, bring, you know, quality work to you. I had a, um, a, a direct report one time tell me he was in a like a very contentious meeting, and he all he could think about was what would Carolyn do? What was she? How would she respond to this? And so he was able to just kind of like you know take a deep breath and respond in a, a respond and not react. So he was able to you know still represent the organization, our department at the highest level and you know respond not react and and that way he was able to have a leave a good impression with you know the people who he was meeting with i got a good report back about oh he knows his stuff and so but you know meanwhile he he came back to me to say oh my gosh they were just like unrealistic and all kinds of things you know but being emotionally intelligent is understanding how um, 
you know, everyone responds to things differently and how everyone, um, there, there's something, I used to always say, there's something that happened in the childhood <clears throat> that re makes people respond the way they do in adulthood. And interestingly enough, I came across this, this, this statistic um, a couple of days ago when I was doing some research that said 95% of who you are was set in the first seven years of your life. And I started thinking about that and it really helped me to uncover a lot about myself and some people that I know who I had heard some of their childhood stories. And so, you know, I think that is a good, um, a good um, statistic to keep in mind when you are communicating with people because you really don't know their story and they are responding or reacting in a way because of some experience that they had, which was usually you know, likely formed by some belief that is now subconscious um, in their adulthood and how they are um, reacting and responding and leading. Absolutely. That's so true to point out and so good for us to think of in terms of like our own reactions to things, because obviously, when we're talking about emotional intelligence and stuff like that, to some extent it is, some of us are probably more naturally gifted, but it probably is also kind of like a muscle that you can learn how to use and get better at. So in general, when you said that you're that guy that worked for you was like, what would Carolyn do? In, when you're in the workplace, are you recommending for people to kind of lead by example with that emotional intelligence stuff? Or is it something that you have like candid conversations about? Like, how do you kind of relay that information so that other people can start to flex that muscle also. So what I did, um, <clears throat> leading by example, that's, so, so to answer your question, um, you know, more directly, yes, leading by example. And so the approach that I took was when I, like I had um, about five direct reports, of five directors, I should say, um, who had other people that they were leading. So, you know, I would be very intentional about having, um, I made co coaching conversations um, the norm. I made sure that we were regularly meeting and that I was helping them um, showing empathy for whatever they were going through and showing compassion by helping them to guide themselves to the solution. So, um, you know, and, and I, I would recommend that, yes, leaders who especially um, um, direct other people who have uh, um, people who report to them and need guidance, um, take an approach of having, co you know, making coaching conversations the norm and um, strengthening their own emotional intelligence, especially around self-awareness. <clears throat> self-awareness is the foundation of um, strengthening your emotional intelligence. And I'll mention um, self-awareness, social awareness, uh, self-management and social management are the four quotients of emotional intelligence. And they all play different parts, but all put together, they create your overall emotional intelligence. 
And so knowing, um, strengthening your self-awareness through mindfulness, through acknowledging um, your strengths and your limitations, because we all have, you know, some people, you know, if you do not think that you have a limitation, you have not lived, <laughs> you know, as you grow and evolve, you know, you can't do, you do other things better than, you know, some things better than other things. So we all are, you know, evolving and growing. So we all, um, as, as I heard before, are um, a beginner at something <clears throat> as you go through life. So my, you know, my recommendation is always to lead by example, put your oxygen mask on first um, and take take um, care of yourself, have a, um, um, some a mindfulness um, practice, uh, whether it's um, meditation or journaling, or I, I've recently discovered grounding. Uh, I I've gotten like a little bit of, of no, a little bit about it um, uh, in breath work. Uh, I know some more about breath work than grounding, but I, it was very refreshing when I just went outside, stood in my bare feet and like on the pavement, on the patio or on the, in the grass. And I'm not a person that, I'm not that take your shoes off everywhere person. I just haven't been that way. So that was um, a, a limitation, if you will, that I chose to just to, to, to navigate in a way that, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything that is going to help me to evolve and grow. And so when I heard about grounding, then, you know, as a, as a way of kind of just connecting yourself more and kind of just kind of getting your, um, having a mindfulness, adding that to your mindfulness practice, you know, you have to, when you're embarking on this emotional intelligence journey, you have to first be open and, and willing, to, willing, willing is the better word. You have to be willing to um, step outside of your comfort zone so that you can grow and evolve. Because if you, you know, keep doing the same thing, it's like insanity. You'll get the same results. Exactly. Exactly. So I love, I mean, self-awareness, I honestly, is the foundation of life. <laughs> if you have, <ask> <laughs> it's like probably the most important thing that we can mm -hmm. experience. And basically what you're saying is mindfulness is a really good way of us accessing that. Is there any other tips that you have in terms of that self-awareness piece or is mindfulness kind of like the number one mm -hmm. and it's sort of like picking whatever practices end up working best for you? Yes. Yeah, so picking whatever, educating yourself to the different types of practices. Uh, and that's what I did. You know, I really educated myself about the different types of practices so that I know what works for me. Like journaling really doesn't work for me. I don't know why, but um, I have like a couple of books around the house. They're cute. And, you know, I was hoping they would inspire me to like want to journal, but it wasn't, it didn't really, um, it, it, it sometimes it helps, but it, I can't, I have not been able to establish like a daily practice of it, but meditation, I've been able to establish a daily practice of it. Um, and another thing that I, um, I, I recommend as a, a way of having um, mindful, uh, as a way of practicing mindfulness is finding your good song. 
So finding that song that makes you dance, finding that song that makes you get lost in just like happiness for a moment. You know, good songs. Sometimes people mistaking good songs for like that song that's going to get you all emotional. No, that's not the song I'm talking about. Not the one that's going to make you cry, <laughs> but the one that's going to make you um, feel empowered, feel, you know, resilient, feel just happy. And, and so that when you walk into the room, you know, you know, with that tune in your head, then, you know, you are giving up energy that is positive. And so, you know, it puts you in a better mindset and, and to, to um, be more receptive to things that you may have, if you had not done that, that you may, you know, had not, may not have been willing to listen more and talk less when you are interacting, you know? So those are some things that I love to share um, that are not necessarily on the, the list of mindfulness that that one um, about having a good song is not necessarily on that list of, you know, um, um, Deepak Chopra's um, mindfulness list. <laughs> but, uh, but I found that it's um, it's been beneficial to me and beneficial to the clients that I've had that I've suggested that to. Yes, I love that tip because I think probably a lot of people are like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like yeah. it's good to meditate. It's good to journal. And, you know, mm -hmm. for some people maybe who haven't felt as connected to something like that, mm -hmm. having a song, I feel like is such a great, easy thing that people can really yes. feels more tangible and could be yes. a good starting point. And obviously easy to layer into whatever other practice you have that just mm -hmm. gets you feeling like amped up, which is always good to feel positive walking into your day. Mm -hmm. And you did kind of mention this, but obviously we're talking about how we build mindfulness so that we can have more self-awareness, but I guess kind of to go into what self-awareness elaborating on like what that really looks like and what that, you know, translates to in the workplace. So like you kind of said, you're talking less, you're listening more, like kind of so people know what the, the action portion of that really ends up looking like. Yeah. So, um, understanding like what your triggers are. So if you know that um, you, a person or a circumstance, or, you know, I'll even just go as an example, like, you know, say you are, um, you are a leader who has to go to a senior, you know, meeting, senior leaders meeting every week and then you but you feel like it's like a waste of your time it's not productive you know it's um uh, you don't un, you know you don't like the format of the leader who is producing the meeting and so you just get it yourself into like this negative space about it so one thing that you can do is to, to make the, a shift in how you perceive that meaning is using, you know, if you understand how that, if you are clear or can get clear on what um, that all means for you, why? Maybe, you know, it's, it's you are, you need to be more contributory to the meeting. Maybe you need to um, make a suggestion to the leader, give them some feedback on, 
um, you know, how you're feeling about it. So self-awareness is not only just understanding how you feel, but being able to express those feelings in um, a more productive way. Because um, a lot of times people, you know, they repress their feelings and then you, next thing you know, is that, I, I, get, I would say that's where like um, water cooler talk came from. You know, people repressing their emotions and feelings about things. So, you know, they'll, they'll just talk to whoever's there at the water cooler. And, you know, next thing you know, there are different stories all over the office and, you know, rumors. And so if you are able to um, better express yourself, um, once you understand um your blind spots around those, um, around doing that, then you put yourself in a better position to um, know that you have done what you needed to do on your end because you know you can't change another person, but you can change how you respond to that person. So you know, perhaps, like I said, you you need to just take a different perspective about the meeting, maybe contribute in a different way. Um, give some feedback to the leader. Um, and then, you know, don't do what they do. That way you're not spreading um, that negative um, impact that, that that leadership style is exhibiting. Yeah. And I it made me think of, and I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on how that kind of relates to boundaries. Because I think a lot of times I know, at least with me, when I worked in a corporate office, like I was always like the overachiever and had a million things on my plate and was invited to a million meetings. And I was the queen of being like, why am I in this meeting? (laughs) And finally, at some point I was like, I'm going to draw a boundary and say, unless I feel like I'm an integral part of the meeting and you can prove to me how I am, I'm going to have to pass on that one. So like kind of is there... Do you have any recommendations for drawing boundaries and how people can do that in the workplace in a way that doesn't feel like aggressive? Well, first, well, two things. Uh, a good leader will be um, a monitor of that and understand like when their people are getting overextended, um, you know, when their people are um, acting differently than they would usually act because maybe there's something going on in their personal life that's impacting their performance. Again, going back to, you don't know their story, they don't know your story. Um, so you know, a leader who is monitoring those things can is, is being perceptive about you know, their, their um, reports so that they can understand how to manage their workload, um, so that everyone is being productive and, you know, things aren't falling through the crack. And if you are on the other side of that and, you know, feel like you are, you know, being overextended, not being seen, not being heard, then, you know, this is where you can set some boundaries in terms of making, um, making a list of what you're doing. Because um, I had to do that. I had to make a list of what I was doing because I was that person that they would want to put into all meetings because I was able to um, connect and, and collaborate productively and you know people liked working with me. And so 
it was always, you know, I was always on the list. I was always the one, you know, staffing them there, staffing the council president, you know, to a point where it was like, I did not go to the grocery store because I didn't have to. I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner because I was at a meeting that had some, you know, some meal being served. So grocery bill was great, but I was overextended to a certain degree because I still had to do the paperwork. You know, there was still other things that had to be done. So, you know, in that situation, what I would do was, you know, make a list of what I was, what I was doing, um, the time commitments, and then, you know, if there was an intern, well, one particular case, I, I lobbied, so to speak, for like interns because there were some summer interns because there was like work that I had that, you know, I felt comfortable that, you know, to maintain it, I could train a really smart person to do so. Because, you know, when you work in government, resources are always slim. So this was during the time where I didn't have a whole lot of direct reports, but I um, but I still had a lot of work and uh, a lot of commitments. And so, you know, I think that um, being able to, me being able to express that, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for it, you know, I'm committed, but, you know, there are not enough hours in the day to be uh, productive in a quality way. You know, um, so this is what I suggest. And, you know, some things were received. It's all in your conversation, all in your tone, all in your nonverbal and verbal communication and how you present things. And so, you know, I, I was able to have some success on some and not so much on others. And, you know, some. And the one thing, though, with the city work is that priorities were shifting all the time. So... You know, sometimes things just shifted right off the list, which, you know, <laughs> that happened. So it wasn't like I had to really think about that again um, at the particular moment. It was coming back around, but not at that time. So being able to express in a productive way, um, if you are overextended, is, um, you know, is, is, a, is a good way to proceed. And I've even had um, <clears throat> employees who... Um, especially during COVID, um, who were overextended because, you know, we dealt with um, um, providing resources to businesses who were, who were eligible for like the um, um, PPP money that the federal government was, um, was um, bringing down to the local government. So, you know, that was like a whole new process that nobody like really understood what anyone was doing. We were relying on like the, our federal partners to tell us like, like where to find the documents or where, you know, we were, it were, we were relying on a lot of people to tell us things to get money to our local um, constituents. But in the meantime, you know, there were still other projects that were going on. So you had, you know, people who were, you know, um, um, developers who who had like uh, projects that were in the queue for approval, you know, are like, all right, well, where's my stuff? You know, and then they have deadlines that we don't, you know, that are external to us that they have to meet for like mortgages. And so, you know, it became a, a really um, intense time where we had to, I ended up um, just kind of reorganizing um, the, the workload 
And, uh, you know, we were, I had a very talented team. So I was able to shift some things to people who didn't have, have such a heavy portfolio that was dealing with the pandemic. And, you know, they were able to help out and, and um, get us through the period. So that's where that, the, again, discretionary effort comes in when you are a leader, people want to follow. You know, I didn't get anyone, you know, giving me resistance. Um, you know, I helped them to manage through their personal, um, you know, struggles through pa the pandemic. Um, this is where compassion comes in. You know, people had young kids. Now, all of a sudden, they're teachers, you know. So, um, so I understood that. And, you know, we, I had a gentleman who, um, um, you know, he in order to, like, have some mindfulness incorporated in his day now that he's home you know he has a kid but he has you know this important work you know he would take meetings we would meet it, um, have a call every day and he would just be doing his walk you know and I was fine with that you know and he was productive he could answer all my questions and you know he was um and it, it helped him to continue to be productive and it helped us as a department to continue to support the mayor who supports, um, you know, this constituents. I love that. And that reminded me, cause I know we talked about, you know, leading by example and coaching and all of that stuff, but you mentioned that your employee with his mindfulness, do you make it a point to talk about how mindfulness practices can benefit people in the office? Like, how do you kind of Approach that because it feels for someone who's not aware of the connections mm -hmm. probably out of left field so is that right. something that you actually talk about or again it's kind of like you just subtly mentioned in conversation like how does that kind of go down well with the city you know there was a um they were pretty good in like having a well wellness program and so you know I would make sure people were aware of that um that resource and, and, you know, and I would share like what I would do um, because I think that unless you're doing it, doing it in a, um, a structured way, people may not receive it um, productively. Um, and, it, and this is the same way when you're talking about emotional intelligence. I think that um, it can be perceived as number one, emotions in the workplace, I'm not there to be emotional. And then number two, um, are you trying to say I'm, in, uh, I'm not intelligent? So no. Um, so, but what people don't realize is that we all have emotions and, you know, there are things that influence our emotions, our circumstances, our conditions, um, you know, our mood. So all of that comes with you to work, you know? And some people though have have really um, been good about uh, good at segmenting that. You know, they have their work Carolyn and then their office Carolyn, and but that is very energy draining. I tried it before, so I know from experience. So I decided I was just going to be Carolyn and um, bring all of my empathy, compassion, and um, you know, and 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 display that in a productive way um, in an appropriate way that could be beneficial to inspiring and motivating um, the teams that I had to lead. I love that. And this is 
kind of a selfish question, something that uh-huh. I probably should have asked you when I was still in the corporate world, but kind of that uh-huh. like mid-level management area uh-huh. where you're not calling the shots, but you are managing people. And, you know, it's kind of, I worked for a company that we didn't love the top level leadership. So the Mm -hmm. culture was very negative. And as a leader, you, you know, are trying to do the best you can by your team and Mm -hmm. be compassionate and empathetic Mm -hmm. and all of that. But it's kind of like straddling that, like, how much are you commiserating with them versus, you know, like what feels like an appropriate balance when the people at the highest level, everyone's kind of unhappy with them, but you're still trying to keep your team happy, but you're not trying to bash them openly, like the higher ups, because that's inappropriate. Like kind of like, how would you play that balance if you were in that, that mid-level role? I always say we are all here for the work purpose. That's the first thing. Um, at the end of the day, we are responsible for making sure that the residents of Baltimore, you know, have access to their government, um, you know, get timely responses from us um, and can um, feel like they are getting, um, you know, their tax money's worth um, and the value of of being treated as human, you know? So I try to keep keep our, like the mid-level managers who, that, like you said, may not have agreed with what higher management was doing, um, keep them focused on um, being, uh, of doing their job to the best that they can do. You know, their expertise um, is one thing, and then their communication skills is another level that helps you to um, um, utilize your expertise to get the outcomes that you need. So, I would, I would always emphasize, you know, because I was, you know, their direct supervisor, you know, they saw me as a person who um, was, they trusted me. So establishing that trust as the leader of mid-level um, management is essential to um, um, mitigating whatever goes on uh, at the top. Because if they can't trust anyone, then they're going to start, you know, um, looking at their options or not giving you the the discretionary effort that they would normally give. Um, They're not going to have that excitement, you know, like like that new car excitement that you get, like the new job excitement. You know, we're all excited and, and, you know, ready to go and be productive when when we get a new job. And then, you know, the reality sets in because you get to know people. And then you're like, what? You know, and so, but again, people have emotions, they are human, and that all comes to the workplace with them. Uh, And then it's all influenced by what happened that morning or that night or on their way in, you know, somebody cut them off. They're not emotionally intelligent. So, you know, now they have like, you know, said a few profane words and some stuff to people. And so now they walk in the door just like, you know, in a bad mood or in a bad way. And so, um, but I think that, you know, help being the leader of mid-level management is essential to build that trust with them. 
And again, you build that trust by regularly interacting with them. Um, um, I used to have, and regularly interacting with them and making their contribution, um, feel, making them feel valued for their contribution. I used to have, when we had, um, uh, say for instance, um, there was some legislation that was going to be, it was introduced and you know we were charting the, the path to it. We would have like, brain we would brainstorm I would just allow people to just brain dump you know no, no whatever you say is not it's not wrong and it's not right it's only gonna it's gonna only contribute to you know what we end up coming out of the um the meeting um with and the steps that we decide are the best next steps so you know we were tasked with making recommendations to you know like the mayor or the city council president so I felt like it was essential that I gave people space to just kind of um, be creative and to um, feel like their contribution, no matter what it was, was, you know, was essential. You know, I had what I called the parking lot because, you know, you have a group of five or so people, you can get off conversation, off topic. So, you know, to, to help to, to, so that people wouldn't feel like, oh my gosh, why are you talking about that? We're not talking about that. You know, I would say, all right, awesome. Let's put that in a parking lot and, you know, come back around to that if we can. And then, um, you know, but let's finish out, finish teasing out this one part of um, what we were talking about. So I think that's essential as well. Those are great tips. I will share them with the people that are still there. <laughs> And I think another thing that people struggle with a lot too is the coaching thing. Okay. And I think, and even as far as us in terms of having our own self-awareness is I think usually we understand with our words, what we're saying or not saying, but sometimes I think it's our nonverbal cues, which you had mentioned earlier is another thing that can obviously be a part of our communication mm -hmm. style and can kind of dictate whether something's going to go well or not. Is there any, would you say, nonverbal cues that people could be giving off and maybe not realizing they are that we could kind of help draw some attention to so people can be more aware of them? Well, I think um, so you have to talk about it in the context of your remote work now and your in, uh, in on-site work. So on-site, um, one thing that I, I used to be very intentional about doing, you know, when someone walked into my office, I would not sit behind my desk. For me, I had a, uh, well, I'll say two things. When I had a, an office that had a conference room table, I would sit at the table and we would have discussion there, we'd sit across from each other so that, you know, there is no, I'm the big bad boss and, you know, you're the little, what do you want, employee. Um, so there, there could be a, a more um, um, meaningful exchange in that way. And then when I did not have a, um, a, a conference table, I had a chair that was like on the side of my desk. So it wasn't like you were sitting in, my, in front of my desk and you had like, again, the big bad boss. We were able to have a, a, a you know, as close to that as I could get con intimate conversation or more connected conversation um, while we were, um, no matter if it was something that was contentious or whether it was, you know, just a check-in. So those were um, 
some things for in person. Now on Zoom and all these these video calls, fix your face and <laughs> tame your tone. <laughs> so your resting face is sometimes is saying so much more than your your words will ever say. And you know sometimes like there are you know again people who may just like be, un, you know, subconsciously annoying to you um, or, well, consciously annoying to you, I should say, but you, um, you, you know, you have to listen because they're speaking in the meeting and everyone gets to say something and you called on them. So now they're speaking, but you know, like, oh my gosh, they're just going to say something that's so ridiculous that I can't take it. So, but don't let your face show that. And then if that's how you really feel, take time to like get to know them and understand them a little better and understand how they um, process information, understand how they um, best, under what conditions they are most productive. Uh, one of the things that I, um, I suggest that um, work leaders in workplaces, people who are managing people do, um, is get it use like a um, 360 assessment, what um, emotional intelligence 360 assessment. That way, you you know everybody understands how everyone works, and um, I feel like that's very helpful in just kind of level setting everything, so that you can you know it's an opportunity to reset, especially um, relationships that are not going as well. And to you know maybe improve, uh, enhance the connection of those work relationships that are going better. So doing a, um, an assessment is always a good idea if you're, especially if you want to understand how to help your team work better and interact better with each other. So, yeah. So those. Um, so in, um, well, oh, on Zoom, um, taming your tone. So, you know, sometimes you, people can be a little short um, and they interrupt people. Um, so, you know, listen more, talk less is always what I try to enter the room with. Um, and if it, you know, sometimes you can get people who are very talkative because they're you know, not comfortable in how they communicate. So they start to ramble and all this. So you know, in those situations, then you can just offer, you know, oh, hey, Jim, um, you know, I, you're sharing some great points, but in the interest of time, let's talk offline about that. Yeah. So there, and I, and I give some, or the people that I um, coach, I give them some conversation prompts so that they, you know, it's a, it, you know, you have to kind of just put it in your own, um, your own tone, your own language. But you know, it's a start to help you to start making better connections because sometimes half the battle is like not saying the wrong thing because you can't take it back. You can apologize, but you know, um, one of my favorite quotes is from Maya Angelou. Is like, um, um, I'm a paraphrase, but people will remember, they, they won't remember what you said, um, but they will always remember the way you made them feel. So, you know, if you made someone feel embarrassed or, 
you know, um, minimized. And, you know, you can't take that back because that's how you made them feel. But you can do some work to repair and reset that relationship. Yeah, I love that. That was such a perfectly like wordsmith way to be like, wrap it up. <laughs> you can do like TikToks or something with like ways to say things nice in like business terms, because yes, it's hard sometimes to be like, all right, let's get this going. And I mm-hmm. do, it's actually really funny because I think in a lot of ways, being able to see our faces on zoom is probably one of the worst things ever, because I feel like a lot of us are like picking things apart that we've never noticed before. But one thing is you do catch the way your face looks yes. in a meeting, which before it would have been hard to really know what your resting face kind of looked like. So there is more mm-hmm. awareness around that for sure. So yes. it's good in that sense. And then <laughs> I feel like what is nice about this too. And I think you're obviously speaking to it more from as a, like a leader guidance and stuff like that. And I guess for me, who's been in both seats, I'm always kind of like at which you obviously have too, but looking at it as someone who's kind of under one of those leaders that they don't want to follow kind of thing. And I think a big thing that we're kind of taking away from this is like also learning to not take things personally like doing, you know, you being the emotional intelligent person in the dynamic is partially exactly what you said in the beginning, like 95% of what's going on with people has been their patterns since the dawn of time. And it's not about you because I think so much of us in the workplace take things very personally. And like that can be such a major mindset shift when you like you said, look at things with compassion and empathy and communication and all of that, but also just kind of like, it's not really about me. Right. And, you know, and somebody has to choose to be the grown up. Yes. So being, you know, when you are emotionally intelligent, you are okay with choosing to be the grown up because you realize it's not you, it's them. Um, you know, it's all of whatever they have going on that you, you know, do not have time to uncover and fix and, you know, but um, someone has to be the grown up and, you know, emotional intelligence helps you to choose to be the grown up. That's perfectly summarized in a way that I think everybody can really take away from it. Obviously not even just, I mean, we've been talking specifically the workplace, but this obviously applies to literally everything in our lives. Having that perspective, I think is a great viewpoint. Yes. Yes. Especially when you're married. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. He has to be the grown up. (laughs) Absolutely. So I know we talked somewhat about some of your habits and stuff like that, but obviously as somebody who is very self-aware and seems like it's been a natural thing for you to some extent to always be this person who's good at communicating and almost like translating between people. But obviously you talked about different grounding habits that work for you. Is there any other habits that are like non-negotiables that you think kind of help you to feel grounded and, and centered for your workday? Um, I would say, so I really started to, um, be clear about, um, no being a complete sentence. Um, and in the workplace, you know, 
you know, I if when I had to say no, I would, you know, say something to the effect of, you know, I would love, uh, you know, my answer has to be no, but this is why. And, you know, but you, it's, you know, you can say no in a compassionate way. Um, and you can say, again, remembering that we're all grownups and grownups, you know, want to know why. And, you know, so, you know, an explanation to the extent that you can devolve, you know, to, to tell the information if it's something that's not confidential, then, um, you know, it's a grown-up. So, you know, if you can't do something, then, you know, it's, it's fair to just explain why. But no is a complete sentence. And in that also, you know, it's also helpful to, it was also helpful for me to, to be clear about that because if you are like a wishy-washy leader and not committing then and showing lack of commitment to you know, a position, then you know, people need to walk away either knowing it's, it's a go or it's not a go. Or it's a go if these things happen uh, or you know it's a not it's not a go if these things happen. So in leadership, you know, needs to be clear. And as a mentor of mine said, clarity is kindness. So being clear is really be, being kind to people because you're ha giving them the opportunity to walk away, you know, feeling that they have an answer. I love that. I think so many of us, especially women, really struggle with just saying no. <laughs> so I think that's always good to reinforce for people that no is a complete sentence. Yes. And I mean, I could obviously talk to you all day about this stuff, <laughs> but um, I know we're approaching time. So I did want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. And this is something that we may have touched on already, or it could be totally out of left field, but what is something toxic that you have let go of that's had a major impact on your life? Um, that, that saying, making no, um, a complete sentence, because it was, it was really um, an energy drain. So it was not, you know, say, being able to, not being able to say no personally as well as professionally. Um, and, and it made me also feel like, I, I think I felt like I had to like solve everybody's problem. So I, that's why I didn't say no, um, especially being in a back, coming through um, a profession that solves everybody's problems. So, you know, people always, always say, no one calls City Hall just to say hello to me. They call because they had a problem that needed to be solved. You know, some agency didn't respond in the way that they thought they should respond or they saw something on television that they didn't like. And so they were calling to, you know, voice their opinion about that. So no one called to just say hello to me. Um, so, you know, just so that, also, um, you know, helped me to, because I, I had that component of having to like say, be responsive to, you know, our customers, so to speak. I had to like balance that out with, you know, being able to be clear in my leadership so that I wouldn't have like fuzzy over here with a constituent who, you know, maybe I told them like five times, you know, why we were responding or acting 
or taking the steps that we were taking, but because that's not what they want to hear, you know, they're not going to walk away with, you know, okay, thanks for explaining. But, you know, with my team, I can be clear about like, this is what we're doing. This is not what we're not doing. And, you know, now that's checked off the list, you know, and in my personal life, the same, because, because I was um, the, the, first generation college graduate. <clears throat> and, and so apparently I know everything from, you know, medical conditions to taxes. So, but, you know, but people would call me in my family and, and I think, you know, they, they always say, if you didn't, don't want people to call you, then just mess up and, you know, give them bad information or something. But, you know, but I was, I, I've always been very resourceful so, you know, I may not know how to, um, you know, do heart surgery, but, you know, I can, you know, give you a link to somebody that can show you or, you know, give you a phone number to someone who may be willing to show you. But um, so being able to, you know, manage that on my personal life side as well is, you know, I would do, um, I used to do a lot for people. Now I just, you know, empower them to do it you know, hey, call this number, you know, but they used to expect me to call the number, you know, get the, if, you know, get the form, you know, give them the advice on how to fill it out. But now I'm like, all right, you know, this would be a great resource for you. Or if they heard something and they, you know, called me about it and we agreed it was a great resource for them, then, okay, so here's the link and, um, you know, complete the paperwork and then submit it as instructed. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I had to like manage my ability to say no, um, you know, especially as it related to my job and the customers not, you know, necessarily being able to say no to them in a way that they can hear it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And even, I mean, you are just like such a wordsmith with making things sound good. Like even when you were like, I empower them <laughs> to do it themselves instead of it being like, do it yourself like for <laughs> you. And I think that just goes, I mean, that's even a way to have that conversation with someone using the word empower sounds so much more like, oh, like they're excited to do it almost. So right. that came with practice. And you know, I always say leadership takes practice and practice makes progress. And it all came with practice. Um, you know, you know, understanding and becoming more self-aware about like, you know the way I was communicating and maybe picking different words and understanding how people, if, if, you know, if some, if people were receiving it well, then I'll, you know, I would do more of that. You know, if people weren't receiving it well, then I'm like, well, maybe I wasn't showing up or saying what I, you know, what I was intending to say was coming out in a different way. Um, so part of it is like understanding how you're showing up and the other part is understanding that no matter how you show up, you know, the way the person receives it will have, there will be a whole lot of other emotional factors around that. So be okay with that. Yeah. Give yourself some grace. I love that. Well, that's <laughs> such a great place to wrap it up. And definitely, I mean, throughout this whole conversation, you've been even just leading by example in the way that you've been talking. So it's very perfectly <laughs> all tied <laughs> together. And I would love for you to share how people can work with you, follow you. We'll link up to all of this in the show notes as well. Okay. Yeah. So 
um, the best way is to visit my website at www.leaderswhoconnectandinspire.com. Um, again, that's www.leaderswhoconnectandinspire.com. And there you'll find um, you know, more information about me, free resources, um, emotional intelligence, um, intelligence and DISC assessments. Um, you'll find uh, my free workshop that I'll be doing June 21st called O-Shift, S-H-I-F-T. I didn't have, you know, don't, FCC, don't come get Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> O-Shift, how, um, four ways um, how leaders can shift to respond with greater emotional intelligence. So um, that'll be on June 21st at noon. And I, um, so you can find that there. You can find um, my free ebook on um, ways to have greater emotional intelligence in all four of the quotient areas. And um, you can sign up for the newsletter there as well. So it's a one-stop shop. So leaders who connect and inspire.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Carolyn. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Nicole. Well, I hope you guys got a ton out of that episode. There were so many good nuggets in there, and I will be sure to report some of these things back to people <laughs> that still work in my office. Um, and here are the takeaways. Number one, emotional intelligence is having an awareness of the way we think, act, and respond that shapes our understanding of ourselves and our interactions with others. Two, things that happen in our childhood drive how we respond in our adulthood. 95% of who you are was set in the first seven years of your life and it shapes your core beliefs. So just keep in mind that you don't necessarily know other people's stories. Number three, in order to build self-awareness, you need to be willing to evolve and grow, understand what your triggers are and your blind spots are. From there, you can learn how to express your feelings in a more productive way. Number four, mindfulness is a key piece to self-awareness. Find a practice that works for you. Some examples include meditation, journaling, breath work, grounding, or even just finding your good song that makes you feel happy, resilient, and empowered. Number five, the best way to teach emotional intelligence to others is to lead by example. Number six, people always remember how you made them feel, so make them feel valued and choose your words carefully. Number seven, somebody has to choose to be the grown-up. Emotional intelligence helps you to choose to be the grown-up in any situation, either at work or outside of work. And number eight, leadership and communication takes practice and trial and error. Learn how to show up as your best self and know that you can control how other people respond. And again, as always, I thank you so much for listening to the show. It's the highlight of my week to put it out and to have these great conversations. And I hope that you're getting a ton out of them. If you are, I would love to hear from you. You can reach out to me on Instagram at the.detox.diaries. I would love to get a DM from you and hear how you're enjoying the show. And of course, the best way to support the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you again for being here. I will see you on the next one. Bye.